wonderful people of God. Let's rise and let's receive the word that the Lord has given to us today. <clears throat> We're reading from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. May these words comfort your heart. Please be seated. The words of the psalmist, at once an expression of longing and of confidence. We are here again, of course, stepping into our Christmas season. And I love the fact that Christmas is not just a day, but is in fact a season. Even if our malls start, seem to start Christmas earlier every year, I always try to hold out for this day, the first Sunday of Advent, before I step into my own celebration of the season. As of today, I get to start listening to the music. We'll get a tree for our home. I'll decorate my office, and I'll start the process that I love of buying gifts for the people that I love. And threaded throughout these weeks will be the reality of Jesus. Songs will remind us of him. Our weekly worship services will remind us of him. It's a great season, and at this time, we Christians remember the staggering truth of the incarnation. Divinity himself born into poverty, to experience our humanity and to die humiliatingly for our rescue. And the deepest Christian who has been contemplating these things for decades cannot begin to grasp what happened in Bethlehem on that silent and holy night. We Christians love the season. And even everyone else around us seems to understand that something special is going on. The Christmas season we have traditionally called Advent, which means coming. It starts on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and this year, since Christmas itself is on a Sunday, Advent is as long as it can possibly be. Five Sundays, four weeks plus a day. And on these Sundays together, we're going to be in a teaching series that I've called Sing We Now of Christmas. Now, every year we sing these carols, and some of them are so rich in how they proclaim the biblical truth about Jesus. And the danger is that we sing these songs each year and love the Christmassy sentiments that they evoke in us, but that the truths that we sing and the Savior of whom we sing fail to stir us. So we're going to consider in these next four Sundays the carols, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Joy to the World, 
Hark the herald angels sing, and O little town of Bethlehem. As we sing these songs, we articulate the bedrock truths upon which we have centered our lives, built our church, and staked our eternity. So today we're going to consider the carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now the carol as we know it has come to us. Uh, it's one of the oldest carols that we know. It dates, dates back eight or maybe even nine centuries. But the roots of the carol go back even further still. Some of the language of the song goes back nearly 28 centuries to the Old Testament prophets, especially Isaiah. Isaiah spoke against the backdrop of the nation of Judah, part of what had once been the United Nation of Israel. And he spoke more than 700 years before Jesus was born. We sometimes think that the Judahites, or just Jews for short, were as a people collectively longing for God's promised Messiah, looking to God and waiting for him to act on their behalf. But the fact is that for most of their Old Testament history, they couldn't care less about God. They weren't looking to him at all, much less for anything. And even in moments of extreme national crisis, they rarely gave God a thought. They rejected him. They embraced all forms of sin and idol worship. And as a result of that, they were routinely overrun by the nations around them. And it was because of this reality in the people that the prophets spoke. Like voices in the wilderness. God continually addressed his people through the prophets. Through them, God spoke of inevitable judgment if they continued to rebel. He spoke out of his own broken heart. He lamented the insanity of their refusal to live in his love and wisdom and protection and blessing. And he often sounded like a parent whose young child has taken to the back alleys or sounded like a husband whose wife ran off to be the plaything of a motorcycle gang. But throughout these words to his people, there were these repeated promises of restoration that if they would not return to him, God would draw them back. And then there were the promises of the one who would come. One who would lead them, rule them, but tenderly and with wisdom. He would fight for them and destroy their enemies. He would be their king and also the perfect servant of God. And this servant, according to Isaiah 53, would in fact be smitten by God, would die bearing the sins of God's people, and yet would have a future and would live to intercede for those people. And so the voice of longing that we hear in the prophets and in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is not the voice of the Old Testament Jews. It's the voice of the prophets, and through them we hear the voice of God. And in fulfillment to all of these words, all of these promises, Jesus came, albeit unrecognized, for he came, as it were, incognito, a king disguised. But he did bring God's kingdom. He did die for sin, and he does live again. But he did not stay. He ascended to heaven, to the glory from where he came, 
But he promised that he would return one day and on that day bring completion to the redemption, not just of the people, but the redemption of all things. And Satan and death and sin and fear, all of those would be forever done away with. And we live in that age between Jesus' first coming and his promised return. So we too live in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord's deliverer, Jesus. And so we sing, not so much celebrating that he has come once, but longing for the time when he will come again. We sing, oh, come, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. The name Emmanuel first appears in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. But we understand it as a name given to Jesus because of the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew quotes Isaiah in relation to Jesus. In Isaiah 7, the situation is this. Ahaz, who is an idol worshiper, is king of the two tribes of Judah. And he is reigning in Jerusalem. And the kings of Israel, the remaining ten tribes, and the king of Syria are at war with him and they are plotting to overthrow Ahaz and put in his place a puppet king. And so God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz with a message, Isaiah 7, verse 4 to 9, which says, essentially, don't worry. Their plotting will not succeed. And besides that, before 65 more years have passed, Israel will be shattered as a nation. They will never again be a threat to you. And then God says to Ahaz, ask me for a sign that this is true. It can be anything you want. But Ahaz, who has always distanced himself from God, says no. And then God gives this word. And God said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, that means by the time he's grown up to a certain age, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days that as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. God will bring the king of Assyria. That is, since the time that Israel separated and became two nations. In other words, God is going to bring, or sorry, God declares that a child is about to be born in Ahaz's day, and that this child will be a sign and a symbol of God's presence, for Emmanuel is a word that means God with us. That God is present and active in the affairs of his people. But before this child has grown up, the nation of Assyria will conquer Israel and Syria, and will also sweep over Judah. And Israel and Syria soon did, in fact, fall to the Assyrians, and Judah herself was later 
overrun, and Jerusalem barely escaped. It was a word of judgment to God's people. 750 years or so later, another maiden conceived, and her name was Mary. She was engaged to Joseph, Joseph of Nazareth, and he married her, but before they consummated their marriage, she gave birth to a son, Jesus, God the Son. And in writing his gospel, Matthew, or two aspects of the events of Jesus' birth, come together to remind Matthew of Isaiah's words. First, that Mary was a virgin when she conceived and bore Jesus. This is unmistakable in both Matthew and Luke. And in fact, we affirm the virgin birth, not because of Isaiah, but because of the Gospels. So Mary's virgin conception and the birth of Jesus. And secondly, that Jesus was quite literally Emmanuel. God on earth, walking and living among us. And so Matthew, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And by the way, the word fulfill does not just mean come true, but it means to be true in a greater sense. Isaiah 7 was not a prediction of Jesus' birth. And nobody would have thought it was. Nobody would have thought that it was a prophecy about the Messiah. But in Jesus' birth, we have a baby who would not be the symbol of God's presence, but God's actual, literal, physical presence. The reality of a maiden, a virgin, giving birth to God with us came to its full expression in Jesus. He is the consummate Emmanuel. And yet, even there, there are degrees of this reality. In Jesus' life, he was the local, physical presence of God. After his resurrection, he ascended back to heaven from where he came, but he sent his spirit to indwell each person who belongs to him. And so God is with us in a wider sense than when Jesus walked on earth. That he's not outside of us, walking beside us in a single person, but he's within us and widely present now in the world through his people. And yet there is more to come, more for which we long. The time when faith shall be sight. And someday Jesus will return and the dwelling place of God will be with us, his permanent home will be with us. And then and only then will the full and absolute reality of God with us be experienced. And it's for that that we long. We taste God with us right now. Right? It's his, it's his now presence that carries us through uh, pain and grief. Excuse me. It's his now presence that convicts us and enables us to grow in character. It's his now presence in us and with us that enables us to seek first his kingdom and to love people. Behold, I am with you always, Jesus said in Matthew 28. 
But even in the reality of God with us, that is a life of faith. And we long to see what is so far still for us unseen. Our faith is kind of like the whiff of a banquet. When you can smell the food coming out of the kitchen. And it makes us long for the substance, for the meal itself. And that is the kind of longing that we sing when we sing, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And the first verse of that carol recognizes that until we experience full, intimate, face-to-face relationship with God, there is a sense in which we are not at home. We are citizens of heaven, yet we reside in this tainted world. God is our home. And not until he comes visibly in all his glory to be with us and to take us to himself, until then we are, as it were, in exile. We're living away from home. Chris Rice, who is a gospel singer, has a song in which he says this, echoing the words of Psalm 13, which is what we had read. How long will you, uh, sorry, how long until you defend your name and set the record right? And how far will you allow the human race to run and hide? And how much can you tolerate our weaknesses before you step into our sky blue and say, that's quite enough? Am I naive to want a remedy for every bitter heart? Can I believe that you hold an exclamation point for every question mark? And can I leave the timing of this universe in bigger hands? And may I be so bold to ask you, please hurry. O Come. Verse 2 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel begins, O Come, Thou Rod of Jesse. That language, too, is from Isaiah, this time chapter 11. This time God promises a ruler from the line of David, and the King James Version reads, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, who is David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Versions in today's English will phrase it something like, A shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the context is that when God has finished judging his people for their consistent rejection of him, he will restore to himself a remnant. He will call them back into special relationship with himself. And as a part of that work of God, God will raise up from the royal line of David a leader of his people. And Isaiah goes on from there, to describe the character of this ruler and the nature of his rule. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. 
and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And Isaiah pushes the borders out because just a few verses later, verse 10, he declares, in essence, that this ruler, whoever it is, will be not just the ruler of God's people, Israel, but the ruler of the nations, the ruler of all the Gentiles. In Romans 15 and verse 12, Romans, by the way, is a book about the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all the nations. Romans 15, 12 speaking of Jesus, says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, all the Gentiles will hope. Paul is writing about Jesus and says that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Twice in the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 5, One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Unmistakably talking about Jesus in that context. And even Jesus says of himself in chapter 22, I am the root, the descendant of David and the bright morning star. Isaiah's words applied to him of whom we have already sung today. Jesus is this king. Jesus is the perfect, strong and tender, the righteous and wise king of all of God's people. Under his rule is both confidence and security in the present and in eternity. Verse 3 of the carol. O come thou day spring. And the idea behind this word day spring is that of dawning, of the sun rising in the east. And the prophet Malachi in chapter 4 says in verse 2 that, speaking of the coming of Jesus, that the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness, shall rise. Um, Before Jesus came, 70 Jewish scholars translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And just tuck that away for just a second. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 78, after the birth of John the Baptist, um, John's father, Zechariah, in speaking of the coming of God's chosen one, says whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise is the very same word that was used to translate the sun shall rise in Malachi chapter 4. And again, the King James translates that in Luke chapter 1 as the word dayspring. That's where we get that word from in this song. And so with the coming of this promised one, with the coming of this ruler, this Messiah, comes the light that will increasingly push back the darkness of this world until the fullness of day is here forever. Before too many weeks have gone by, 
um, something is going to happen in our solar system, in our world, that is pretty significant. It happens every year, December the 21st. The sun will stop, or the earth will stop its tilt on our hemisphere, its tilt away from the sun, and will begin its tilt back toward the sun. And after December 21st, as we know, living in Calgary, there's lots more winter coming. Lots of bad weather, lots of freezing temperature, lots of blowing snow. But you know what? After December 21st, we know that the coming of spring and summer is inevitable. It's inevitable. Winter can do its worst, and in fact will do its worst after that day. But spring is coming. The snow will disappear. Summer will be here. And the coming of Jesus is the December 21st of cosmic history. It's began a new age in which all things begin their tilt back toward God. And we live in that time when there's still winter. And Satan will do his worst, his coldest wind, his worst snow, his worst storms in our lives. But we know that because Jesus has come, winter does not last forever in our world, in our hearts in our lives. The sun of righteousness, the day spring has come. And we long for the time when he will be high in the sky, as it were, and we will live under his sunshine permanently. In verse 4 of the carol, O come thou key of David. Again, these are the words of Isaiah. Um, a somewhat obscure passage. This is a prophecy against the palace steward, the man who is in charge of the palace, a man named Shevna. And God in this chapter is saying that Shevna, who is a full participant and leader in Judah's national sin, that he'll be removed from his place and that his position will be given to Eliakim. Of whom God says this. Isaiah 22 and verse 22. And I will place on his shoulder. Eliakim's shoulder. The key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut. And none shall open. To Eliakim will be given the position of authority in the house of the king. But even he according to verse 24 which follows will not be sufficient for the task. Now again, here too, nobody would have considered this verse a prophecy about the Messiah. Even in Jesus' day, nobody would have applied that to the Messiah if and when he would come. And yet suddenly, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus identifies himself with these words. I am the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Jesus is the one who has binding authority in the palace of the king. His word is final. God the Father has granted all authority to his son Jesus, and if Jesus opens something, it cannot be shut. If Jesus grants access 
to the grace and forgiveness and even to the very presence of God, that access cannot be denied. If Jesus shuts something, it cannot be opened. If Jesus has said that there are no other points of entry to the grace and forgiveness and to the presence of God, not good works, not religion, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, then it is so. And so this carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, expresses the longing for the coming of the Emmanuel, God himself among us, the coming of the rod of Jesse, the forever king from David's royal line, for the day spring, for the dawn and increasing reign of perfect righteousness, and the key of David, the one with final and absolute authority in the kingdom of God. And we long for him. We long for him as people in a world where Satan's activity is still all too real. Where the threat of hell is a very real threat to so many. And where the shadow of death still looms over us. We long for him to come in a world that is filled with shadow and with fear. We long for him to come and finally and permanently receive us, verse 4, into the kingdom of heaven where he himself is and where in him we will live in the presence of God, his Father, and ours. And so this carol is not, properly speaking, it is not a Christmas carol. We don't so much look on his coming in Bethlehem as we do cry out for his coming in glory. Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. And we respond, how long? Oh, come, Emmanuel. And then there is the chorus. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Our longing is not a wish. It's, it's a firmly grounded confidence. As Jesus has come, he will come. In his first coming, he conquered the powers of death by his own death, Colossians chapter 2. He freed us from the fear of death by his resurrection, Hebrews chapter 2. He came as the light of the world, John chapter 1. He was revealed as the gate, the doorway of access to God, John chapter 10. In his coming, he has freed us from the threat of hell and from God's judgment of sin, Ephesians chapter 2. And in all of these things, the sun has irrevocably risen. Winter has an inevitable end date. People of God, Jesus is coming. Certainly, he shall come. Just as certainly as he did come, he will come. This means that in the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil. Because Emmanuel. God is with us. It means hope. It even means joy. For the dawn has already come. And the dark is already being pushed back. And though our experience of it is not yet full, God is already with us. And it is his own presence, in fact, that is all that we need. So here then is the song 
that we sing. Paraphrased. Very presence of God, come and purchase our freedom. We who feel like strangers in a strange land until you come. Promised king in the line of David, come and free your people from our slavery to Satan's ways, from the certainty of judgment, and from the power of death. Like the sun rising in the east, come and dispel the darkness that surrounds and so often invades us. And steward of heaven, swing wide the gates that we may enter and live with you forever. And until then, we have the sustaining joy in the certainty that as you promised, you will come for us. Amen. Let me lead us now in a time of prayer, grounded in the reality of this hope. Lord, the song itself is a prayer. And we live in the, the tension of the in-between time of the fact that you have come and you will come. And I pray that in this Christmas season that you will help me and help us to not only celebrate your coming. And sometimes at Christmas that's hard enough to do. We get distracted. Help us to celebrate that you have come, but help us also. Would you cultivate in us this deep and growing longing for you to come again, for us to see you, for the final redemption and the end of all sin and pain. And David said at one point in his life, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And sometimes we feel like that. And yet it's Christmas, above all, that reminds us that you never forgot us, even for a moment. We want to make sure we do not forget you. We want our hearts to long for you as yours did for us. So, O come, Emmanuel, help us to long for your coming. As we live on this side of your coming, there are certain realities that we still experience. And just in the last week or 10 days, I have heard again of a number of people in our congregation who experience life on this side of heaven. Jim and his surgery cancer surgery, I thank you that it went well. Grant to him and Susan the strong sense of your presence. Jerry, whom we're so thankful to have with us this morning after a stay in the hospital that, that felt too long. We continue to pray. Oh man, as always, there's so much for Alfreda Stenzel and Alfreda Weiss. For George and for Elsbeth and Tina and KP and Anna Marie. There's so many. 
Lord, you are with us. You give us your presence. You give us hope. And just in the context of some of the suffering that we experience, we say again, please come. Lord, I pray for this season for us as a church that Jesus will in fact be central and loved here and proclaimed out there. It's a season for you. Help us to give ourselves as a gift to you. For the sake of your glory, O oh Lord, we will come and adore him. In Jesus' name, amen.